Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. I am with, as most often is the case, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, how are you doing? Ah, you know, I'm doing all right. Uh, pretty crazy times around the world, but it's just, uh, it's, uh, it's great to, uh, it's great to be talking basketball. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy. I, I feel like this, uh, this usually happens to us. We go a little while without a podcast, uh, and then we tell people that there's going to be a podcast. Uh, usually some big Gator news drops. So, I mean, that's what happened on, uh, you know, Colin Castleton day. Uh, that's is uh, look, looking what, looking like it's uh, what's happening today with, uh, uh, with obviously, obviously the Andrew Nemhart news. And uh, uh, yeah, hey, it makes for great podcast content. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be a very valuable skill for you, Neil, when it comes to like, you know, uh, uh, the middle of July and, and things are pretty quiet. You can just toss out a tweet and say like, hey, anyone uh, have like, questions <laughs> or anything? And, uh, and something big will happen. So, so uh, be, you know, we don't want to overdo it. But hey, that could be, a, that could be something valuable because, hey, anytime we go to podcasts, it seems, uh, seems like things happen. I know it's crazy. Like, you know, and I, I was thinking that maybe next year somebody asked if uh, what Florida's recruiting board looks like next year, cause they don't have any seniors. And you know, it's such a great question. <laughs> it's like, that is tricky. Like how do you recruit a cycle when you don't have seniors, but you expect people to leave. Uh, and I thought, I won't say that the thought didn't cross my mind last night to be like you know what i should do it's every time a big four or five star player is getting ready to announce and and florida's a hat on the table i'll just tweet hey new new pot listener question <laughs> <laughs> gotta do our part you know you know that's all we can do so uh the big news uh the departure of of florida point guard andrew Dimard, all sec player uh all sec freshman team um you know a guy that didn't probably have the sophomore season jump that some people anticipated. Although I think when you look at the analytics, he did not have a bad sophomore season by any stretch of the imagination, uh, a good defensive player, uh, an outstanding distributor had some monstrous games. Uh, most notably, you know, against uh, Alabama, I thought, you know, played like just a monster and the big comeback win over Alabama uh, was terrific in, in both games against LSU. Um, just, you know, some really 9.7 assists, three steals against Providence and a 30-point win uh, that, that I got into a, the weirdest Twitter beef I've ever had about yesterday. Um, so, you know, Andrew, Andrew departs. And, you know, I'm going to say that the way that the departure happened surprised me, Eric. What was your... What was your take on that? The announcement that he'll he'll look to transfer rather than go play in Europe. Hey, I would say if you looked at the three options of pro staying in Florida or transferring, I would have said transferring was the the least likely in my mind. Just truthfully, I, I mean, when you're in a position where uh, where you're you know you you enter the season and you think like, hey, uh, after this year we're going pro. Uh, you know, for Nemhart's camp, they they thought they might go. He might head in that direction after a freshman season. So. So entering a second year in Florida, thinking that, hey, this is going to be our last year in college, going to go pro after that. It's just such a big step to be like, hey, now we're going to transfer and, and likely sit out a year and then uh, kind of ensure that he's going to be in college for four years and, and decide not to do that at Florida. I, I mean, there's a lot of elements in it that, that do make it pretty, pretty surprising. I, but I've got to say, I mean, uh, as, soon as, as soon as he entered the draft, uh, there was some buzz. Like, I mean, Matt Norlander said, uh, said on a podcast on the CBS Sports Iron College Basketball podcast, he said back then 
and that he heard a transfer might be on the table, which at the time I thought was wild. I think I might have texted you that and I yeah. think you might have just shrugged because it was like, you know, really? Like, I'd be like okay. <laughs> um, I had, uh, you know, I had, I had someone from, uh, from another program who you uh, wouldn't necessarily associate uh, with anything to do with Florida say, uh, he said, hey, uh, there's people around my program and hey, maybe we'll say that program's name in a little bit. I, I, I think we will. That said, hey, uh, we think that uh, we're going to be in the mix for, for Adrian Emhart as a transfer. And I was like, man, what? Like, uh, I don't think he's transferring. And then, you know, you fast forward till now and uh, it, it's what happened. So uh, I would say my surprise is, is at a fairly high level. But what, what would you say? Yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I thought that this was going to be a situation where if he could get a two-way G League deal, he would take it. Uh, maybe the feedback they got was that that wasn't likely. Uh, you know, I thought with a Canadian passport that um, Europe would be something that was on the table. Maybe COVID kind of altered that and made sitting out a year more acceptable to, to him and his family. Um, but yeah, I mean, I really, I'm with you. I thought this was the least likely option. So I, I do think it's surprising. Let's, let's, let's talk about what it means for Florida. Cause I think, and, and you tweeted some stuff out this week that, uh, you know, before the decision and after the decision about Tyree Appleby and, and how it looks like this kind of thrust Tyree Appleby, the, the all league player in the horizon conference, correct? I think that's right um into the i think it's the horizon league but yeah, certainly, right. yeah, yeah. yeah all, all conference in the horizon league it, it thrust him into uh the starting point guard role next year i i think without really any question i i think so too and i mean you know i love trey man but i mean when you look at tyree appleby coming in as a he'll be in his fourth year he had two really productive years in the horizon league without a lot of talents around him um, in a league that, like I mentioned on the podcast, was was better than you think. You know, like it was only uh, uh, it was two leagues worse than than you know Conference USA, and um, uh, you know everyone thinks of that as a, a pretty strong mid major. So so the Horizon League was better than you thought, and uh, and you know Tyree Appleby was good in that. League. Well, was not good. He was outstanding in that league. Like mm-hmm. again, like I you know yesterday spent my morning uh, looking through some of his film, and when you look at his numbers, like they're insane. Like. Uh, for him to shoot near 40% from three, taking a high, high degree of difficulty of, of shots, uh, that's incredible. For him to have one of the best assist rates in the country, uh, which, again, not a lot of shooting around him, not a lot of talent. Like, these buckets he was creating were, uh, were just so impressive. And uh, and he didn't turn the ball over a lot. And, you know, there's a smaller guard that has to create everything for his team. I, I just thought he was so, so impressive. And... Uh, I thought it was pretty interesting when I was looking at some of those Bart Torvik um, predictions for uh, uh, for Florida next year. Uh, you know, it did not look very kindly upon uh, upon Tyree Appleby and, and Deruji. Actually, it just didn't it didn't project them having big roles. So I thought that was pretty interesting. So I ended up writing an article that um, some people may have seen a couple weeks ago. It was um, I looked at all the uh, all the transfers from Horizon League up to high majors uh, to see. Uh, how those players have done in the past just to see like, Hey, have horizon to high major transfers done well, or have they flopped? Because if there's a lot of flops, Hey, maybe I need to kind of temper my expectations of, uh, of what he's going to be. But it actually showed that, you know, horizon horizon players have, have done well. And um, I, I actually, you know, this was a lot of work. So if you haven't read it, I, I hope you go do it because I, yeah, I, please I, do. I came up, I came up with uh, 
you know, the algorithm of like, hey, what's the average change in production from these players from Horizon League to the high majors? And I did it for Appleby and I did it for Daruji as well, um, coming from uh, come from Conference USA and uh, and showed what uh, what the last decade of, of sample of transfers that are similar, what, what it would suggest that they would do. And the numbers were really good for Appleby. They were starting caliber numbers. I don't remember them off the top of my head, but uh, but they were really good numbers. And then, uh, yeah, that was definitely something that uh, uh, definitely something that uh, that made me pretty uh, pretty intrigued. And then um, you know something that uh, uh, something that our friend Malik Grady um, went in looking at uh, looking at comparable players from uh, from Bart Torvik um, uh, that would have uh, some of the projection for for what you could expect from Appleby. And this list is like pretty insane with like Kemba Walker, Jimmer Fredette, uh, you know, Trey Burke, Trey Young, Frank Mason. Yeah. Like, he, there's, there's, there's some numbers here to really suggest that, that Appleby is on track to be a very good player at Florida. Uh, and you know, one thing too, like uh, I'm someone who never gets, I shouldn't say never. I really try not to let, you know, the aesthetics of a player or aesthetics of basketball, um, skew the actual results. Like, you know, if you see a team that, that plays plays dirty, plays ugly basketball, but gets the job done, I, I'm not going to look at them any worse than uh, uh, than a team that plays more aesthetically pleasing basketball but doesn't have the same results. But man, like Tyree Appleby is so much fun to watch. And Florida has not had a player like that. They have not had an electric score at the guard position like that in a very long time. And that just makes it that much more exciting. Well, you know, one thing that I would say, and and another player in the in the list was uh, our boy uh, Ryan Archie Diacono, who was pretty good. Um, the The thing about Florida's small conference transfers and Conference USA, obviously, a little bit better a league than the Horizon League, usually a two big league from Conference USA as opposed to you know a conference tournament bid league, um, is that neither of them have athleticism deficits, Eric. And in fact, you know, one of them is sort of a prototypical power six athlete uh, and, and maybe even a, a plus side. I would characterize Teruji on the plus side on the athleticism front. Um, whereas Appleby, sure, he's small, uh, but, you know, you have that, that special burst of speed a la, you know, Casey Hill, Chris Gioza, uh, Speedy Smith, guys that, that Mike White has had success with. I think too, when you look at uh, the difference between Appleby and even like a Chioza, for example, is uh, Chioza never really had the shooting off the dribble game. Um, uh-huh. Casey Hill definitely did not have that. <laughs> and uh, that kind of like tempers the speed element a little bit because uh, when teams know it's uh, once they start driving that it's like all the way to the hoop, uh, you know, defenses can respond accordingly. And, and the fact that Appleby has that threat of the pull-up jumper uh, with just like an elite pull-up jump jump shot, I mean that's gonna that really makes his speed even more functionally relevant. Like you see in transition where he'd be like leading the break, and uh, and teams would have to stay on his hip because he'd already hit two two shots where he just like stopped on a dime and pulled up from twenty seven feet. So they had to stay on his hip, and then when they went on his hip. He had that burst to get by the man and finish. So uh, I I just think that's what's so exciting about Appleby is that that pull-up game mixed with the speed uh, makes makes him just so functionally uh, functionally athletic with that speed. Whereas, like, you know, Chioza was super fast. I'm not trying to take anything away from him. But there were times in the half court even where uh, it, it wasn't like he was always able to use that speed super effectively because 
uh, teams could play off them. They could fall back and then sit, like they could just say like, hey, we're going to meet you in the paint uh, versus like, hey, if uh, Druzy gets ahead of, sorry, if uh, if Appleby gets ahead of steam, it's not going to be like, hey, let's uh, let's backtrack. Let's meet him in the paint because, you know, he could come off the screen, hit that pull up three, uh, hit the shot in the mid range. Just, uh, yeah, there's just so much to his offensive arsenal. anybody's scratching their head but but uh you know i think he averaged what like seven points a game in college so a lot of it was he could use his speed to get into the lane but he was always going to distribute first um so this is definitely a different type of point guard but also one that has the speed and quickness that has been successful for mike white historically so i think you know yeah there's a lot of upside to that um you mentioned Trey Mann, and, and and so I want to get into that in a second, but but that brings me back to a point you've made on the podcast, which um, you know, I think is an important one that when we evaluate the way this staff has recruited, you know, one thing that Mike White said that was interesting what a year ago was, well, maybe sometimes we got too obsessed with recruiting rankings. And, you know, I don't think anybody that's listened to our show doubts that you know, we both think Andrew Nimhart is a terrific basketball player, but you can be a really good player and not a great fit at a particular program. And maybe Andrew wasn't the best fit uh, for Mike White and, and Florida's program. So I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that because I know you think, you know, look, I, I think you think he's a little more versatile than I think he is. Although I think both are issues with Nimhart. I'm not going to put too many words in your mouth. My biggest concern with Andrew is, I'll just say my biggest concern with Andrew isn't transition offense or that he can't play fast. I watched him play for Canada. I, don't, I have far fewer concerns than much of our fan base had about that. Mine was always that I do feel like Andrew's a little contact averse. Uh, and so I think it limits his ability to use his excellent size offensively, which I think can be problematic. Um, and I think Mike White wanted him to be more physical a guard than he ever was. Uh, so that would be kind of my scouting flaw. Like my my way to defend Andrew as a defensive coach would be like get in his face, bump him, you know, what Michigan did really. Um, and and he's not going to be able to break you down because there's a little bit of an athleticism deficit there was Andrew the best fit? And, and what do you kind of think of, of my analysis of that? Uh, no, that that's fair. And, and something I'll say about, about Nemhart too, uh, the fact that he's not very long makes it that he's not like, you know, you look at Andrew Nemhart and he's six foot five. So you're like, wow, that's a six foot five point guard. That's big. The thing is like his wingspan is like six foot four, maybe six, five, like maybe he has an equal wingspan. Uh, but the thing is that short wingspan makes him like artificially like smaller than his uh yeah. than his height would suggest like like if you look at his standing reach um or he or his wingspan he'd really be like a you know a six three guard with with decent length re- realistically so al- already it's like the concept that he's a six five guard is like almost a little bit misleading like you're gonna think of him as being a longer player than he actually is and and relative to uh 
to his finishing, I think that that was a problem because, uh, you know, you mentioned him being a little bit averse to contact. Uh, for guards to finish, you know, you need to go and you need to take it hard, take it strong into the body of a shot blocker. Then you need to, you, you know, extend your arm and finish over the top. And I feel like he didn't have those, uh, uh, he didn't have that ability without length and, and, you know, without great touch. Like he really struggled to finish as, as a freshman and uh, he did get better finishing as a, as a sophomore, but, uh, but again, it was a lot of the, uh, the mid-range jump shot, which actually fell for him at a, at a fairly efficient rate uh, this year as, as a sophomore. But I think that it was almost, you know, the, it was almost a little bit of fool's gold where early in the season he was hitting those mid-range jump shots so well. And that made him want to go to that shot when he was driving where uh, you'd love to see him get in the paint more, get fouled and uh, take a, it, it's obviously we know the analytics. We know it's uh, a, a mediocre shot at the rim is, uh, is still going to be about the same value as even a, an excellent mid-range shooter off the, off the, off the dribble. And yeah, you know, the other thing that didn't fit Florida's scheme as much as, okay, so um, here's a story. I don't know if I've told you this story before, Neil. Uh, so this will be a new story for you maybe, but, uh, you know, three or I guess four years ago, three and a half years ago, uh, me and my wife went on our honeymoon and uh, it was to Gainesville to watch, uh, to watch Florida basketball, of course. And, uh, I wasn't writing for the team or writing about the Gators. I was, I was a nobody at the time. I mean, I'm still a nobody, but you know, no. more of a nobody back then, but, uh, <laughs> but Dar- Darius Nichols, uh, you know, knows me from Twitter, um, invites me to a practice. Awesome. This is so cool. So, uh, so I was able to go, me and my wife were to, uh, to go watch practice that year. And, uh, there are two things that really, really stuck out to me. Um, uh, the one I could just hear Mike White's voice echoing so perfectly. It was at Devin Robinson who, uh, uh, off the ball was playing a little bit lazier defense than Mike White wanted. And, uh, and he said like, uh, he's like, Devin, you better stay in your stance. That hopping around stuff isn't going to work. And I just always remember that. And it's something that even when I coach high school basketball, uh, you see high school basketball players do it all the time when they don't really stay in a stance and they just kind of like hop around to like kind of make it look like they're in their stance. But they're uh, they're really they're really standing straight up. I remember that moment. And the other thing I remember is him yelling at his point guards over and over and over again to be physical at the point of the uh, at the point of the attack. They wanted he wanted Casey Hill. He wanted Chris Gioza to get up into the shirt of guys on screen and roll. He wanted them to really pressure. And uh, I believe the term he used on a few occasions was. Um, he wanted to be physical at the point of attack. And uh, the thing with Nemhart is I, I don't even know if it was necessarily he didn't want to be physical at the point of attack. Uh, it wasn't like he shied away from the, the contact there defensively. Uh, but the fact of the matter is his feet aren't quick enough to go pressure someone 28 feet from the basket, uh, fight over a screen and stay glued to a guy's hip. So uh, I also feel like he wasn't able to really provide defensively what, what Coach White is looking for because, yeah, he, he loved how Casey Hill – uh, would really get up into a ball handler. And when a screen would come, he would, st- he would you know, get his chest up into the body of the offensive player and he would steer him away, make him take a bad angle around that right. screen. Like he really liked that style of defense from his point guards and Nemhard didn't have the ability to deliver that. So as, as much as, you know, there, there was some deficiencies offensively uh, that didn't really fit what Florida wanted to do, that, you know, there was some defensively as well. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Um that that's really an interesting story that you had not told me. Um, and I think, so it gets back to the point that you made, cause it's a good way to transition this. We are going to talk about Trey man. Um, <laughs> uh, but Florida seems to have started recruiting more to what they want to do. 
um, both the top 10 class and the most recent class in particular, where which was more of a Donovan class where Billy would bring in a class that was in the top 25 nationally. Um, and some people would say, you know, I don't, I don't understand this take when, when he signed guys. And it was always like, Billy was just trust my evaluations. And I know that, that Billy's an ear that, that Mike White has leaned on the last couple of years more than his first couple of years on campus. A little story I can share. And, and, you know, one piece of advice that coach Donovan gave coach White uh, an off season ago was you have to trust your evaluations. You have to trust your staff evaluations. And when you bring in people for your staff, whether it's an analyst or a stats person or, or your video guy, everybody has to be trusting their work product, right? You have to have, you have to know that. So it's less about being concerned with what a recruiting ranking says, right? It's less about, I don't want to pick on DeAndre Ballard, but I, I always come back to DeAndre as like the perfect example of this, Eric, where I'm never really sure what they wanted him to be other than somebody that might be able to score. Uh, but I can look at Niels Lane and I get it. Uh, and so I'm not saying that five-star Andrew Nimhard would ever be a bad take at any program. That's not the case. But maybe – a guy like Tyree Appleby is a better point guard for the program. Yeah. I, I mean, I also have sympathy for, for, you know, white and his staff who, who came into, uh, came into Florida. Uh, it's, you know, obviously pretty tough to recruit that first summer. Yeah. When, uh, when you come from a, well, really when you make any coaching change, much, much less, you know, making the jump um, from a mid-major to Florida. And they started uh, late. They started, yeah, late. they started late. So, I mean, and they signed three-star guys and, uh, you know, a lot of the fan base is, was not very happy with that. And they wanted to see, you know, to pull up a 24-7 page and see Florida at the top. And um, I, I don't know if there was pressure from, from above doing that too, or, you know, because that's, that's something that, you know, is also, if you, if, you know, if you sign guys that are, that are ranked high, you can sell that to your athletic director. You can, you know, you can sell that to other people, which I don't know if that was the scenario that they needed to, but I certainly understand like, hey, that class with, uh, <laughs> that class that didn't work out, uh, including DeAndre Ballard. Uh, obviously, that didn't go exactly according to plan, but for a time, it really looked like they, they won that offseason, that they did, they did really well. And I, I totally understand uh, having that kind of excitement that comes with signing a big class, signing a, a bunch of top 100 players. Like, so, yeah, I, I, I'm not someone who is, really wants to like, kill Florida's coaching staff for, uh, sure. for the way that they've recruited because, hey, I, I do think that... Uh, I, I, and it's interesting you mentioned Ballard. Ballard's the one guy, and I know hindsight is his is twenty twenty, but he is the guy that I look back even now at his his film from high school, and I'm like, man, I I don't see it. And uh, it was one of those things too that I kind of feel bad because realistically, if he was the two hundredth ranked player in the class, and Florida takes him, and it doesn't work out, then it's like, hey, like whatever. It was the fact that recruiting services had him in the top one hundred. And uh, but yeah, I, I I totally just understand that there is also fan pressure to. Uh, uh, and probably some administrative pressure too to have these classes that that have numbers next to their name and and at least now that you know Florida is a little bit more you know the coaching staff is a little more established at the program they can start to say like hey we're going to go after our guys and uh, you know if they're the 122nd ranked player in the class and not the 62nd uh, we'll uh, we'll be able to sell it based on the fact that hey they fit what we want to do. 
Yeah. And, and I think that, that leads to the, the point of, you know, we're selling it to guys that fit what we want to do. And now you can look at this two year roster flip basically. And this is a, you know, Malik Grady brought this up in our uh, direct messages uh, yesterday, I think. I don't know. But but it is an interesting point. I mean, Florida has has wholesale flipped their roster with the departure of Nimhart. The guys, that kind of, from what it looked like two off seasons ago to what it will look like next year, uh, Florida goes from one wing to four. They go from one point guard to Two and a half. Uh, no offense to, to Trey. We are going to talk about him. Um, that's just like the new – we should name every podcast. We are going to talk about Trey Mann. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what happens. Um, you know, so uh, one guy who can beat people off the dribble to three or four. Um, you know, so it, it's – it's a pretty drastic roster flip. And if you subscribe to the theory that there is heat on this staff, then they appear to be uh, willing to fight that heat only with their dudes. Yeah, well, I think that's something interesting about, again, recruiting uh, recruiting based on the numbers is – if a guy doesn't work out fairly quickly, if you're, re- you're recruiting these top 100 guys, is they're going to be upset with the role they had and they're going to leave or they're going to leave early to go pro or uh, you have those kind of problems and that, you know, Florida has not been able to get old or, or stay old. And at least if you're bringing in your own guys that fit your system and they don't necessarily have the hype around their name, uh, at least those are also the guys that you're more likely to keep around a little bit longer. And, and that's something that you look at the way that Florida's roster really, you know, really changed before last season. Uh, it turned out that uh, they ended up being pretty young and, and probably too young to win at a high level. And at least when you see this next kind of uh, next kind of turnover that we're going to see going into next season, at least Florida has some experience and, and has some older guys. And I think that that's uh, very likely going to be conducive to winning. Yeah, no, I think all that's accurate, which gets me to Trey Mann. Um, I talked to uh, a couple people in the last couple weeks just trying to get an idea of what his NBA scouting ceiling was. Not so much, Eric, oh, what do you think will happen with him this year? Uh, but rather, like, what does he profile as? And, you know, I, I definitely got the the top end of it um, from the steppy end was kind of, yeah, there's there's some Jamal Crawford there. Um, because a lot of people think that, you know, those jump shooting numbers are going to improve. Uh, a lot of people saw, you know, February where he could cross people over off the bounce and he's comfortable shooting off the dribble, which is a a lot more valuable in the NBA. Um, that Trey seems to either be able to embrace contact or, He's long enough to avoid contact when he drives, which you see in one of the highlight videos that Eric put together that I thought was excellent. Um, But what was interesting was that both of the people I talked to saw him as a combo guard who comes off the bench to provide offense. They don't really see him as as necessarily a point guard, which I think fits into kind of the vision for the Florida team next season. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I was obviously someone who, uh, or I am still a big fan of Trey Mann, and uh, he's someone that I think is going to take a leap. But uh, And there's also some things that I you know wrote an article the other week about uh, why I think a lot of the things he did was underrated. Uh, yeah, but I will piece. say the, the one thing that I, uh, I shouldn't say I can't defend, but the one thing that is concerning is his, uh, his numbers out of the pick and roll are, were not very good. And he had a decent sample size. And uh, yeah, whether it was making the right read, making the right pass, or uh, or getting his own offense out of the pick and roll, it, he just didn't look super comfortable out of it, to, to be quite frank. And that's something that he will, I, I'm sh- I'm certain, will be uh, will be looking to improve. But that'll be the that's the one thing that like, hey, if you're going to be an NBA point guard, uh, you've got to be really really good in, in screen and roll. And you know, as I cover the draft for NBA Canada and you start looking at the numbers of, of a lot of these guards, there's just so many players that are so good out of the pick and roll because that's what, you know, the modern basketball is, is all about. So if you're not really good at that, you're probably going to get lost behind some other guards that are really good at that and uh, because that's something that's very, you know, easily projectable to the NBA. So uh, in terms of his uh, his outlook as a, as a point guard, I mean, if he does want to play more as the primary ball handler, he's definitely going to have to get better out of, out of screen and roll. And if he ends up playing off the ball more, uh, like we saw most of his time at Florida, it's, it's going to be all about, hey, can he get, uh, can he run off the, in Iverson cut, catch the ball off the wing and uh, attack a weak foot of a defender? Like that's, that's really what it's going to be about for him. Um, or it's going to be like, hey, can he get the ball out of the fast break and, and lead it as a secondary ball handler? And, uh, and and go attack against the defense that isn't set and get a layup with some of his crafty finishes we've seen. Uh, those are going to be kind of this, the skills that really define his next season, uh, wherever it ends up being. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, I would say that, that the Jamal Crawford comp was like absolute ceiling. And, and, you know, the NBA scout I spoke to said that Austin Rivers was probably more reasonable, um, which is, I think, a really terrific comparison. If he can figure out how to score consistently off the cuts and screens that, that Eric's talking about. Well, it's interesting too, because Austin Rivers has also really uh, rebranded himself as a defensive player in, in the NBA. And uh, I think that, uh, yeah, that was something I pointed out in my piece that I thought Trey Mann's defense was, you know, really good. Something we've talked about on the podcast at the end of the season. And uh, Hey, not everyone can be stars or, or primary offensive options in the NBA. So it would be interesting if, if man kept, uh, kept leaning into what he did well defensively and while also bringing like some of that, uh, some of that shooting off the dribble, I mean, he could be that Austin Rivers guy who he comes off the bench and he can hound a ball handler uh, and then also offer some value as a guy you can cross a guy up and hit a jumper. Yeah, no. And I was trying to tee you up there. Cause I thought that was <laughs> that, that kind of transformation is unique. And you know what? Like when he was at the villages, I mean, they were so reliant on him to score, but I mean, you know, he played two of the three games. He sat against us in the in the Montverde Invitational. I think I told you that. Um, it, you know, he may have been hurt the whole tournament, but certainly sat a consolation game. Didn't need to play uh, against us. But but I thought, you know, you saw a guy who who was super competitive. Um, that that had a real fire to win, and that pounced a little bit when. When things aren't going his way, not because he's a he's a bad kid, not because he he doesn't he's the kind of kid that pouts when he's losing because he hates losing. Um, and I think I think some of Florida's early season struggles probably affected him. I think that team thought they were going to be better than they were, and that's hard when you're 18 and you think you're going to play on a top 10 team and 
and you're losing games, uh, that's a tough deal. So a super competitive kid. And to me, like the sign of Trey's competitiveness was how much he leaned into defense. Like, Oh yeah. You, that, that, that to me was like, I'm going to do what it takes to win games, which that was so huge. Cause that's how Keontae Johnson got better. Yeah. Like that's real competitive competitiveness to me. Like that's real toughness to me. Like, and I know that competitiveness and toughness get thrown out so often these days. And, and especially now when like, you go and look at like overtime social media feeds and like Bleacher Report and it's these high school kids talking about how, you know, this player's a killer because he goes and crosses up a five foot eight white kid in high school and hits a three <laughs> and stares him down and that's competitiveness in a game that's 70 to 20. Like, uh, and that that's kind of like, oh, there's the killer instinct and, and that's competitiveness. And it's just like, man, that's not competitiveness. Like competitiveness is really doing what it takes to win. And, and again, yeah. Trey man realizing that like, Hey, my shots are not falling at the rate that I thought that they would be. Uh, how can I contribute to winning? It's uh, becoming a great help side defender and drawing charges. And uh, when I'm on the floor, uh, maybe diverting to, uh, to Keontae Johnson, who's a much better offensive player than he probably expected and more of an offensive initiator than expected. Like, uh, yeah, again, like no one's going to be like, Hey, look at Trey man uh, rebranding himself as more of a defensive player off the bench for the Gators and say like, Hey, there's, there's a killer, there's a killer instinct. But to me, that's so much more of competitiveness and a killer instinct wanting to win than again, what that has been made out to be in like 2020 basketball culture with social media. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and, you know, I agree because, you know, uh, one of my favorite books is, is toughness by Jay Billis, which basically defines competitiveness and toughness as being some of the things that the Trey man displayed last year. Um, and, and I, it's one of my favorite essays about basketball and about life. And, and so, you know, I, I just think it's a fiery kid. And if the role for him is combo guard sixth man that, that comes in and helps get stops. And because people are more concerned about a score first point guard like Appleby, it really opens things up for Trey. You know, that's great. But he's a guy that has an opportunity to take a huge jump next season. I think so. And just the, again, like looking at his numbers and, and looking at his shooting off the dribble, like uh, that has historically translated to kind of smoothing out the rest of uh, the rest of a shooter's game. If he can shoot off the dribble, that shot off the, off the catch, catch is going to come in. Uh, yeah. Playing with Appleby, playing with, uh, playing with Keontae Johnson, which uh, I didn't think we'd get to see for another season, but I'm so excited about, I mean, he's going to have chances to, uh, he's going to have chances to, to hit open shots and, uh, those shots weren't, or yeah, the other shots weren't falling from last year. Those open catch and shoot jumpers, but uh, I really think they're going to start. And uh, again, to just see the, the the times that he did demonstrate that dribbling ability to to get by players one on one, that that is just always going to be relevant in basketball, no matter what scheme Florida chooses to play. And uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure if he'll have the the like you know massive massive leap, just because I think Florida is going to be so talented. I, I I'm not sure if there's if he if there's ever going to be a time for him to just be you know full hero mode and, and leading the way just because i think appleby is so good and i think keontae johnson is so good but uh but man if he can uh you know if he does come off the bench as like a prototypical six man in that canyon berry mode except uh you know trey man has a lot more electricity to his game uh that's uh that's going to be incredibly valuable and i think will do big things for his pro prospects yep uh I would agree with that now we don't know if he'll be back at florida um you know, he, he did tweet out yesterday that that is not a decision that he's made, uh, clarifying a news story. Um, so 
you know, we'll wait and see what happens with him, but certainly an opportunity to really help the Gators win next year. Want to get into uh, our favorite segment of the show uh, every week, which is uh, listener questions. Um, so let's just uh, fire it up. Ed Quigley asks, does Andrews transfer take us out of consideration for his brother committing? Uh, or is Ryan a different enough point guard that he might still come to Florida? Doesn't Mike White prefer bigger guards? Wasn't Andrew just an exception? Well, second part, I think White, um, I don't know if White prefers bigger guards, but Andrew certainly was a tall guard. Eric, Eric kind of talked about his length. Um, Ryan Nimhard, kind of conflicting reports, right, Eric? Yes, a lot of conflicting reports. Um, it's really tough to say if uh... – some people say that Florida is really still in on him a bunch. Some people say they're, they're not, not as much, but uh, you know, like I definitely don't want to put, uh, put words into the mouth of, uh, of a family. But I, I, I mean, when you see a player start every game for, for two seasons and then, you know, decide things aren't the best and, and leave, I mean, maybe it says that they, yeah, they weren't particularly happy with, uh, with the direction of the program or, or something like that. I mean, it, it would pro- I mean, it just seems so unprecedented that a player would start every game for two years and then and then leave. Um, so it's it's tough to say like, hey, has that happened in the past? And then the young brother of said player has committed. Like, I mean, it's 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 tough to say. But uh, uh, hey, if Florida continue, you know, I think Florida is going to handle this transfer with a with integrity and uh, not kick a guy on the way out or anything like that, and just show right. professionalism. I, I'd say like, hey. Because uh, you know something he alluded to in the question is is really is that like R- Ryan is just such a different player than Andrew, and uh, I would say that Ryan Nemhart's style of play definitely fits what what Mike White wants more than more than Andrew did. So uh, hey, maybe uh, maybe that sell can still be made. Yeah, it was interesting that uh, there were some tweets about Florida playing faster uh, with with a guard like Appleby or guards like Glover and Man and um, on our. F- our Twitter feed and, and Ryan Nimhard was, was favoriting a bunch of them. So uh, take that for what you will. And, and I'll tell you this, Florida at least, uh, you know, they have an interesting history with that, where with, with family players, where like it's gone perfectly right for guys and their brothers have committed elsewhere. So I think there's a flip side of that, which is like when your big brother has such a huge legacy somewhere, sometimes you want to make your own path. Uh, and and that was the case for John Horford, who who went to Michigan and ended up at Florida, um, but but spent most of his career at Michigan, right? You know, couldn't have gone any better for Al. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, uh, Alex Murphy, another guy. Uh, you know, and Alex was a McDonald's All American. Eric Eric was not as highly touted. Uh, you wonder how much of that was Eric's career was so good. You wonder how much Alex's hype, you know was related to that, but uh, you know, certainly Alex went to Duke before ending up at Florida. So it, it is interesting. Um, you know, maybe maybe Ryan now thinks, oh, well, you know, didn't quite work out for Andrew to stay, but, you know, I like my chances at that program. Who knows? Um, hard to say. Uh, and Florida's 2021 recruiting calendar uh, – calendar – their board is odd because there's no seniors. Um, Michael Pusatera asks, given the news today, how might the roster fit into Coach White's preferred schemes on offense and their defense, Eric? 
Uh, well, I think I kind of mentioned the, well, I think we mentioned both sides of it, but yeah, I, I do think defensively having a, a guard that I, I like Appleby wasn't great defensively at, at Cleveland state, which would be the one maybe concern about how I feel like he's, he's going to project, but he does have quick feet. And again, if, uh, if Florida wants to get into like, Hey, we know that maybe Appleby won't be the best at keeping guys in front all the time, but he does have the foot speed to, uh, to get into the Jersey of the player he's guarding. And when he gets beat off the dribble, inevitably by playing that much pressure, he has the, uh, uh, he has the speed to recover, and maybe Florida plays a little bit more of that that pack line style that we saw in a couple of styles of games, where uh, uh, where yeah, the the ball handler is really pressuring on the perimeter, and uh, the defense is all sit- all four other players are sitting in the gaps, and whenever there's dribble penetration, there's early help, and and then you recover, and Florida is going to have some length and some foot speed all around the floor to to maybe play a style of defense like that. So, um, I mean, if you're going to say hey, like, uh, when was Florida's defense at its best? It was with Casey Hill or, or Chris Chioza playing the point. Uh, I do not think Tyree Appleby is, is the defensive player of those guys, but he does have speed that's somewhat similar to those guys. And uh, for that reason, it's uh, it's going to look a lot more like what, uh, what, uh, what White wants to do defensively, I think, for, for that reason. Yeah, no doubt. Um, Gatorade 08. Do you guys think any of the incoming recruiting class, red shirts, Lane, Osifo, both, how many active players do you think we can realistically keep happy in terms of minutes? Would red shirting some younger players facilitate that? Uh, Eric, I'll take this one and, and maybe you'll want to jump in after, but I kind of feel like uh, Osifo red shirting would be surprising to me both because of front court depth and because he's a Juco guy, and usually Juco guys don't come and then sit. Um, I do think there's a decent chance that, that Niels Lane ends up redshirting. Um, I think a lot of it just depends on his health. You know, I think for those that don't know, uh, he did battle mono for most of his senior season at Russell Catholic. He kind of came back and was just getting back to form when, when COVID hit. Uh, so, you know, mono missing games isn't so much the deal, but it's the strength workouts and stuff like that. So you wonder how much a year for a wiry guy, uh, his body is a little bit better than, than a lot of the freshmen that have come in before, but there is, there is definitely enough depth at wing where, you know, you can see him taking a year with Preston green and the rules. Now the new red shirt rules would allow him to play some of the non-conference uh, and still take a red shirt. Yeah, that's great insight about, uh, yeah, about the, the sickness that really kind of hurt his, uh, his really, you know, we talked about rank, recruiting rankings. I think that definitely hurt his recruiting rankings. Just uh, when he, was yeah, playing, he wasn't at a hundred percent, then he missed games and that certainly didn't hurt him or sorry, didn't help him in the national recruiting rankings. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just, it is pretty tough for me to imagine how a CFO gets on the floor. I mean, I, I know that, you know, I've written about it a couple of times and talked about it on the podcast that I, I just don't love what I'm seeing yet from him. And, and for that reason, uh, I'm like, yeah, maybe he could redshirt. But Neil, you made a great point. That's not something you normally see from junior college players. They don't play two years of junior college, go to a program and then and then sit. You, you don't see it very often. So uh, and I mean, yeah, I, 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 I for that reason, I, I and like you said, there's not a lot of depth in the in the front court. And I, I guess for you look at the center position and you say, Hey, do, who do you think is going to start out of, out of Omar Payne or, or Jatobo? We'll, uh, we'll let go on the assumption Castleton isn't getting a waiver. And uh, you say right. like, Hey, like uh, you pick your, take your pick out of those two. And uh, you know, you probably like your guy, one of those guys backing up as well. But you know, there's definitely a scenario where 
uh, one of those guys get hurts or gets hurt or both of them get in foul trouble. Some of we saw, and you're going to need someone else to play the five. And uh, the question will be like, Hey, do you like Osifo there? Or do you like, you know, like going uh, smaller with Anthony Deruji? Uh, I, I wonder, I, I honestly think that I think playing Deruji at the five, some would be preferable to me than, than Osifo. I just, yeah, I just, I just still think that there's a lot of growth for Osifo in his game. And, and I think a red shirt would year would be great for him, but I, I don't, think that it's necessary that's that that's necessarily going to happen yeah that's a great question um zach ward what does the nimhart transfer mean does nimhart transfer look bad for the program and mike white does nimhart transfer actually help us uh playing more up tempo uh and, and in terms of scholarship distribution zach's uh, a long-time listener uh, i i it's kind of interesting i mean i would say the uh, the temperature of the national media that is talked about uh, Nemhart transferring is uh, they've been a lot more negative towards Nemhart. This is uh, which I don't think is necessarily fair. But when you look at the reaction of, of a lot of people, it's been, uh, wow, this uh, this guy starts every game for two years and, and transfers. This is why transfers suck for, if, you know, those national media members who are in, in that kind of <laughs> mindset. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, I've seen some some negative stuff from national guys about Nemhart, which I don't think is fair, to be quite honest. But uh, I haven't seen a lot of like, wow, that's brutal for fl- like what what a terrible misplay by Florida to to lose a guy like I, I so I, I don't know I, ha- I haven't really seen that reaction but I, I would think it has to be out there um, somewhat I mean I've got some friends who are you know not huge national writers but but cover the game um, on smaller sites kind of cover the whole college basketball world on the whole and and uh, yeah you know they they talk about like wow Florida had a five star player and, and didn't utilize him to what they felt was the best of his abilities and. Uh, there was some criticism there, but when you look at the uh, uh, the the big name guys, I, I've seen tweets and I've seen articles about uh, uh, about you know how does Nemhart transfer when Florida gives him every minute he wanted and he could take whatever shot he wanted and and all that. So yeah, I, I would say it hasn't looked very bad for for Florida yet. But I don't know what have, what have you seen, Neil? Um, I want to talk about the fan base reaction because I think it's one of these darned if you do, darned if you don't deals. Right, because how much did we read about from from some of the disgruntled fan base about how, oh, you know, the program will be better off if if uh, Nimhard leaves. And some of those same people, yesterday I saw tweeting, oh yeah, you got to get as far away from Mike White as possible. No wonder you know now you're losing five star talent. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, which one is it? Uh, so that's that's what I'm curious. Like I, I'm just kind of curious where the fan base. That's disgruntled, you know, and I'm sure they'll argue it's both, even though I, I just don't see how it can be both. Um, as terms of national reaction, yeah, I mean, I've seen what you've seen. I will say that I got a text from my Kentucky guy yesterday, and it said, man, how good must Tyree Appleby be? Yeah, and I I, <laughs> I do think that, that that has played somewhat of a role, and that's something that I've heard from from sources is that uh yeah appleby was looking uh fantastic in practice i believe it hey i'm the resident tari appleby expert i love the guy and uh how much that played a role i'm not really sure but like hey once again i I really think that like you see that you know something you and me talked about neil is just like hey how much better can can nimhart's stock get staying in college and i think you you look at that a little bit further and say like hey how much better can he really get at florida where he just again was the only trusted ball handler for two years. I mean, there hasn't, no one has emerged in two seasons that Nemhart has been there. 
as someone that was a, a very capable secondary ball handler. Like Florida hasn't had uh, a really established backup point guard. They haven't had secondary ball handlers of much quality. And uh, then you look towards next year and they're, they're going to have that. So uh, maybe he saw that like, hey, I've had you know every opportunity to do everything. Um, there's going to be more guys in there and it's going to be a little bit more crowded. So that could have played a role too. But uh, yeah, I do think that's, that, that's good that you heard it from him because because uh, yeah uh, there's some uh, there's some sources that I've heard that say that yeah Appleby has just looked incredible in practice and uh, maybe that played a little bit of a role. Yeah, I mean I don't have as many people as Eric does, but but I do have my Kentucky staff member, and that that was his reaction within one hour of the news. It's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kai Han asks, where does Nimhard land at another SEC school? No, I think he's going to go to UCLA or Gonzaga. Uh, of the two, I think playing the kind of methodical offense that Mick Cronin plays is the best fit. Um, but I know that Eric wants to chime in. Here I am putting words in, in my uh, <laughs> co-host mouth about how beautiful Andrew might look running all those horn sets for Mark Few. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what I heard. And, and that was the source <laughs> I referenced earlier in the podcast. It was someone from UCLA that said, as soon as Andrew Nemhart entered the draft, he said, Hey, uh, there's a lot of buzz that the Nemhart's coming to UCLA. And I said, what? Um, I was very confused. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Gonzaga, I think, works works great for them just because, again, they, they're a team that plays in transition a lot more than people think. They've been like a top 10 offensive possession length, like one of the fastest teams in the country over the last few years. Um, and then when it gets in the half court, they play a lot of their their continuity ball screen. And uh, like, again, that was something when, when Florida started to run those pick and rolls with Kerry Blackshear setting the screen and Omar Payne sealing the help. Uh, that was like right out of the Gonzaga playbook, like where, yeah. where everyone is doing these like four out or like, you know, four out. And then the one big man that's in comes out and, and set a spread ball screen. Um, that's very modern basketball. Gonzaga did the exact opposite where they have uh, where they had the, the second big man on the floor sealing the help while the other big man sets the, the ball screen. So as soon as Florida started to run that, um, I was like, wow, that's right out of Gonzaga's playbook. And uh, it, I, I just think that, uh, and, or that, and that was also when Florida was playing their best basketball of the year, and that's where Nemhart was playing his best basketball of the year. So I think the, the style of play there fits, fits really well. Uh, Gonzaga is a team that is always trying to stay old. They're always recruiting transfers. They're always recruiting point guard transfers. And uh, they're a team that well, a lot of people thought Nemhart was going to out of high school. So I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I'd love to see him with uh, with like a President Karnowski type. See yeah. him help on those with his vision and stuff. Oh, man, could be fun. Um, good late night TV. Little Andrew Nimhard, uh late night television. Um, Justin Fortner. How many are we looking at signing for 2021? We got Reeves as of now. Who do we want? I know five stars are not the end-all, be-all, but after next year, we will have zero five stars on the roster. Well, we're going to have one on the roster because Kawasi Reeves is going to be a yeah. five star. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but I, you know, I'll, I'll kick to Eric in terms of our early 2021 board with the caveat that it's hard to say right now because we don't know who will be gone other than Scotty Lewis. Yeah, it's 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 tough to say. I mean, I, again, I thought, you know, I boldly proclaimed in his freshman year that Keontae Johnson was only going to be there two years. He's back. I'd, I'd have to think he's gone. Um, so there, there's two. And uh, yeah, I, I'm going to be really interested if Florida really goes after 
like let's let's again look at like hey there's going to be a big evaluation summer for the 2021 class that is about to not happen i mean peach jam was just canceled like an hour ago yeah. before we yeah we talked about this podcast like it's going to be tough to recruit 2021 kids um that you haven't already really seen and feel really comfortable with florida is in a position where they don't really need to go after a bunch and uh, for that reason i could see you know one or two players like i mean what one name that's really interesting is l ellis a juco player who's going to go back for one more year at tallahassee community college and then uh transfer up for, in, in 2021 and and you know, he he really loves florida um he's someone i've uh, yeah i first talked to a but several months ago, Florida hadn't offered yet, but um, he sent me a really nice message on, on Twitter and just wanted to stay in touch. And then Florida got the or finally offered him. And um, yeah, I, I think that there could be something there to that. And I think they could show that uh, White is trying to stay old at the point guard position. So um, I, I wonder if it's going to be, hey, Kawasi Reeves, um, maybe a Juco transfer that's, uh, that's immediately eligible and, and can contribute like L. Ellis, but he has offers from every high major in the country, it feels like. Um, and then, hey, maybe they, if anyone else, op- if there's anything else that opens up, they, they play the transfer wire again, because uh, I feel like they're always going to have a spot for, uh, for that, you know, the, going back to, hey, can you play 13 players and keep them all happy with minutes? Probably not. So using those spots for, for red shirts, uh, it could be wise. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Like you look at Florida's board, there's not a lot of real serious action in, in 2021. Um, given the circumstances, there's probably not going to be a ton of really big names added uh, this summer with no real summer basketball. And yeah, I could see Florida's high school recruiting not being uh, much of a thing past uh, our, our guy Reeves Jr. Big time pro for Virginia Tech, Texas A and M, Texas. So it's a pretty wild offer sheet. Uh, he's he's obviously an NC State, a coveted player, and and if he likes Florida and it's a good fit, you know maybe he gets added to the group. Uh, and, and if he does, then you know that's that could be Keontae and Scotty Lewis's spot, and then it comes down to you know what other attrition is there. So it's it's just a little too early to know, especially with with COVID still limiting things. Uh, Chris Hurt. No, go ahead. Sorry. Are you, are you ready for some, if we want to just talk absolute carnage, um, uh, that could be the, that could be the first, uh, the first season of instantly eligible one-time transfers, uh, in which case, uh, who knows what could happen. (laughs) Um, I I mean, and just in terms of like, Hey, suddenly some players that are on Florida's bench, um, they could be, they could be gone. And suddenly Florida could be looking at some players around the country and say, um, hey, you'd be a great fit on our team and potentially a better fit than uh, some of the players currently on our team. So, uh, I mean, honestly, Florida not going after a lot. I, I don't think that they're thinking this way, but I, I, I don't know. I, I think that it's going to get passed next year. I mean, I thought it was going to get passed this year, if not yeah. the crazy uh, circumstances. So so 2021 could be the first year of the one-time transfer, in which case, like, hey, ro- roster turnover is about to be uh, about to be pretty wild and uh yeah. Anyway, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't think that Florida is really thinking that way. But it could work out for them prominently in a year that they 
are might not be looking at too many you know traditional recruits out of high school uh that uh, that it might be the summer where it's like hey there it's, it's going to be recruiting transfers more than anything no for sure um so you know that's uh that's kind of a, a wait and see and the ncaa could always be the ncaa too eric so <laughs> we never know chris herbert asked the juco guard offered house's game um you know we just kind of talked about that uh cam the man fry asked who would win a three-game series between the 2006 team and the 2007 team uh <laughs> I'm going to say that the 2006 team would win because I like Adrian Moss off the bench more than I like Dan Werner in most spades. Yeah, I think Adrian Moss swings it for me, though. You know, like I'd love to see, you know, Joakim Noah posting up Joakim Noah. That would be, that'd be, that'd be unreal. Yeah. Uh, them screaming at each other. Um, hilarious. Uh, it's great visual. Um, no, <laughs> like, I, I mean, no, I really do love Adrian Moss, but like, if I was like, if my life was really on the line and I had to pick, I'm going to take the team that's one year older, the one year older version <laughs> of themselves. So it, as much as like, I love Adrian Moss and, and do think that that would be a pretty big, uh, a pretty big swing point in uh, versus like, uh, you know, Maurice Spates. Um, so that would be a big, that would be a Thunder big change, but Thunder uh, Dan Werner. Yeah. So, so I'll, I'll say, I'll say the, uh, the one year older team and just, uh, just hope that that one year of experience versus their previous younger selves gets the job done. I like it. I like <laughs> it. Uh, Bob, 1987-14. Does Emory Jones have a chance to start, or do you think it will be another Kyle Trask-led time split? Finally, people are asking me for my football takes. That's, yeah. that's all I've ever wanted covering basketball. But, well, I uh, wanted to make sure that you got – it was you that got, got the shot at this one. <laughs> hey, I think uh, – this is some uneducated football takes coming up. Love, love the Gators, love football. Uh, I'm no expert, but uh, hey, man, when you see the season that Kyle Trask just had, um, when you see that the uh, still the top level of the sport team seems to be dominated by pocket quarterbacks, um, love me some Emory Jones. I think he's going to be fantastic. But I, I just, I just don't know how you take the reins away from uh, from Kyle Trask right now. Uh, am, am I wrong, Neil, or what's uh, what's your feel? No, the the. the it... <laughs> Emory Jones is terrific and he's going to have a package like he did last year. I, I expect it'll be even more expanded than it was, but um, <laughs> you're not going to sit down a guy who just had the best season at quarterback for Florida in a decade. It's ridiculous. Um, Gator Greg, SEC, give us a breakdown of Sanson Rusensev. Can he play defense? Does he shoot well? Will he play next year? Three very good questions from Gator Greg. <laughs> I, I mean, I'll, I'll say this. I do think that defense is always the toughest thing to predict from a, from a high school recruit. Um, he's definitely got athleticism, and, and I think he, uh, he played pretty well in the defensive end every time I watched. But, uh, you know, he's not, he's not super long, which, which hurts him a little bit, but uh, uh, he definitely moves his feet well. And in, in terms of shooting the ball, I, I think he's a fantastic shooter. His percentages were great. His jump shot looks great. It's so fundamentally sound. Um, I, I definitely think he's going to shoot. Yeah, I, I was huge. Like, I mean, I'm someone who thought that the Gators weren't going to have um, Scotty Lewis and Keontae Johnson back next year. And I was ready for, like, Rosensev to, like, push for a starting spot. Like, I, I've been a huge fan of his. So, uh, I definitely think he's going to play. But, uh, but yeah, Neil, do you have any uh, any insight to his defense? Anything you see in his game that you uh, you like particularly? I mean, I, I like that I think he'll be able to attack the basket. Uh, um, 
And I love that he, you know, is a guy that looks to do that. Uh, I don't think, I don't think he's a plus shooter. I don't think he's a bad shooter. I think he's a pretty average shooter um, that has some range. I do think he'll play next year because I think Florida's going to play a bunch of wings. Uh, and I agree with Eric's take that the defense is often the toughest adjustment for freshman players. So, I mean, I largely agree. One thing I think is going to be interesting is I think his athleticism helps Florida on the glass. And so I think you're going to see some quality minutes from him where, you know, even if the jumper's not going or he's not looking to score, or he's a little tentative. I do think he'll make Florida a little bit better, you know, more consistent and deeper in the way that they rebound. That's interesting. You mentioned that. Like I, I'm someone who is, you know, mostly, you know, I've had my criticisms of, of the coaching staff and, but I've also been someone who has defended them in a lot of scenarios. So I'm definitely not advocating for another area for people to try to kill the coaching staff for um, <laughs> that. That's for sure. Um, but it is interesting to me that rebounding is one area that the Gators have been very poor at in the Mike White era. And it doesn't seem to like really get talked about. You know what I mean? Like, it, like I, it's, it's just so foolish to me who like, I, I just feel like the staff gets so much criticism from places that it's like completely undeserved. And uh, one place that I do think deserves a little bit of criticism is, is the way that this team has really struggled to defend. Uh, they're, they've been a very below average defensive rebounding team every single year over the last five years. And uh, something really, I, I really do think something has to change there. And the, the team really does need to improve. I, I know Florida has been playing small for, for most of the Mike White era, uh, both due to what they've wanted to do, as well as, you know, the years where they were so injured and Jalen Hudson was playing minutes at the four. But, uh, but yeah, that's something that I really want to see just generally improve is, is the team's uh, rebounding, especially defensively. And uh, yeah, when you have a guy like Rusenza, if he, him playing the three, that could, uh, that could really, really help. And uh uh, I, I was gonna ask you, Neil. Uh, let's say, uh, let's say, full health for Neil's Lane, and uh, it, let's just imagine that. Um, do you see Rusensev as a guy that, as a freshman, is is a better option to play? Like, I know we've talked about Lane as a possible redshirt guy. Is there like any part of you that thinks Lane plays a role and Rusensev would be like? I mean, it's tough to imagine redshirting a top fifty player, but yeah, is, is there any part of you that thinks that Lane might be um, more productive right away? Yeah, you know what? It's so interesting. That's such a great question. And, and what I'll say is this. If I've learned anything from our first two seasons of doing this podcast, it's that we can't assume everything goes right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what, what is the book on Niels Lane? And what have, what have we heard from people that coached him or around him? It's that he is immediately a plus defender at the college level. Right? Um, that he has length that he loves playing defense. I think it's a huge region. The staff, uh, in particular, the assistants were like so pumped when he committed. Remember their like Twitter celebration. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I've heard from his head coach that they think he's really going to open eyes when he gets to Gainesville, which I thought was really interesting. Um, so, you know, yeah, I mean, look, assume that Samson's, Assume Samson's jumper is a little wobbly, right? If, if he doesn't have the range to shoot and he's already on a team where you've got multiple dudes, Scotty Lewis, Keontae Johnson, Tyree Appleby that attack the rim or attack closeouts, uh, you know, what really is his role if he's not as good defensively as Lane? So, yeah, there's a scenario, I think. Is that ridiculous? Yeah. 
No, I, well, I, I, and I asked that question because I know that you are higher on Lane than me. Um, but I, I've also like, uh, I, I did realize in retrospect that, uh, yeah, that some of the games I've watched of Lane were like him playing, you know, with like, you know, who knows what percentage of his energy level due to hit mono, uh, not totally healthy. And um, so that I, I realized that I probably have made some mistakes in, 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 uh, my evaluations of him based off not knowing the context of the games I was, I was watching. And uh, so I could be very wrong there. Cause yeah, there's, I've been like, yeah, I think he's a guy that's, that's going to redshirt. And there's also been some guys that like, Hey, you know, you are totally undervaluing his ability as a ball handler or as an isolation score. And uh, yeah, talking about his defense. And I mean, some people think that he, like there's, a, there's some people who have also said that he's going to be like a, a point guard or a combo guard at the college level, which is again, pretty wild to me, but, if you're going to say like, Hey, where would be some, some minutes available? It, it, it could be like, Hey, if, if Niels Lane can comfortably guard the, the shooting guard spot and he could do it better than, uh, better than Rusensev, like, Hey, maybe he gets in there and, and, and get some minutes there. If, uh, if things aren't working with it, with Noah Locke or, or Trey man. Uh, right. So anyways, it's, it's interesting. I just, I wanted to ask you because I know that you, uh, you have more insight towards lane. And I, and, uh, because of that, I think you, uh, you understand him as a player more and, um, have a better opinion than I do. Well, it's definitely it's worked out with with Eric and I, uh, listeners, because Eric has you know we we end up somehow we fortunately ended up where a lo- where one of us knows a lot about somebody, <laughs> um, and so yeah, Lane has kind of been a guy that 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 I've been able to to get a lot of information on, and you know I do think that Florida inherits a guy who who is ahead of the curve, very ahead of the curve on defense. Um, which very important to the staff. Uh, Colin Chapman. We had so many good listener questions. Does the Nimar transfer make Mike White go back to his old fast-paced offense? Uh, I, I would have to guess yes. Um, yeah. But I, I will say this. Um, this is my personal preference. This is definitely not what um, – I'm just going to say what I would hope to see next year, uh, not necessarily what I think is going to happen. But I do think that Florida's more structured half-court offense is going to be a better option than the dribble drive that, that has been tried to play the last couple of seasons. Um, I, though I do think that some probably some hybrid of the two is, is going to be tried. But what Florida really needs to get into doing more, and Mike White will, cert, well, I'm certain, will try to do this, is, yeah, they need to be able to score in the first eight seconds of the shot clock. They, they need to be able to, um, well, defensively rebound the ball better um, and, and push it and get some easy buckets because – you know, as I go back and watch Florida's offensive possessions last year, they really were good offensively and they were good in the half court. But by doing that, it just seemed to, it, it, they made it so difficult on themselves. And it almost makes it that much more impressive that Florida was a good, like the fact that they were a solid offensive team is because they made it difficult on themselves by not ever really getting easy buckets. Like they were just not, Florida just didn't have a lot of easy buckets last year just because right. they weren't able to get up in the break. And they, I just feel like they, they need to get into that, uh, they, they need to have some of those. They need to have a couple of those um, push ahead, uh, one or two passes layup, or, hey, get a couple of those, soften up the defense, then get the trail threes um, that they seem to be going for so often, but because they never really got the ball pushed towards the rim, the trail option was never really there. So, um, yeah, so that, that's kind of what I, that's a little bit of what I expect to see and a little bit of what I want to see, but what, what, what do you think, Neil? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Uh, I, I do think they'll be a little faster. I just think a lot of it's roster makeup, um, and I, I also think with a bunch of with a bunch of wings and the way that the, they can play uh, with Tyree Appleby or with Trey Mann as a secondary ball handler, 
uh, you know, there's definitely going to be guys that, that can push and kind of the size and length to attack the rim when you push, uh, which hasn't really been the case on the roster uh, enough. You know, Scotty Lewis was still developing that game um, and, and is still developing it. But, you know, you put him on the floor with Keontae or with Anthony DeRuji, then you have multiple guys who those one-two passes, it's not just Noah Locke transition three, which – is oddly not his like highest transition, highest percentage look. Uh, you know, it's it's attack the basket, see if you can get to the free throw line. Yeah, and that that is another area where I love Samson Resensev. I, I thought he was so good in transition. He's yeah. just someone who has a bit of that explosiveness or has a lot of explosiveness, but is also a very like smooth athlete where I feel like um, I feel like like Scotty Lewis isn't the like uh, again in transition, he's just such a, a, a straight line guy at times. So he would try to push the ball, but when his path was deterred he wasn't able to he didn't have the ball handling abilities he didn't have the flexibility to kind of uh to, to kind of roll with what the defense was was giving him and 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 make a play out of that and i i think resensev is, is more advanced there so great point from you about uh, about having these wings that are going to be more comfortable in transition drew helmich ask uh and andrews ruse ask uh is andrew nimhard being pushed out if he's transferred oh i mean i I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I don't think he was getting, if, if Nemhart wanted to, w- was wanting to be out. Um, well, I mean, this is something, do you remember when, when, when Florida hired, uh, hired Mike White and something I absolutely loved about White was the first, uh, the first question was, you know, the recruiting class of, of Keith Stone and Kayvon Allen and Kavarius Hayes. And, you know, people are like, Oh, like, so have you, have you been on the phone to try to keep them yet? Like, uh, uh, and it was, you know, all the reporters were asking him like, how are you going to keep this class that, that Mike White signed? And, uh, and White just said, like, hey, I'm, I, uh, I wish I knew exactly what he said. I, 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 I'm going to butcher it. I'm not going to try to say it verbatim. But he said something on the lines of, like, hey, I'm not in the business of begging guys to be to play for me. Like, I'm not going to beg guys to be Gators. Like, they're either in or they're not. Like, yeah, Noah Dickerson. Right? Yeah, Noah Dickerson, right. And, uh, yeah, I just uh, – I, I thought it was pretty interesting at the time, and I thought it showed a lot of confidence. And, uh, the, the, yeah, he just wasn't going to be like, yeah, no, like, if they, if they want to leave, I'm not going to – not going to fight them. I'm not going to. Not going to get on my hands and knees and, and beg. That's just not what. Not how he's wired, and that's kind of how I would imagine the situation with Nemhart. I don't think he was pushed out. Absolutely. I, I just. I don't think that's the case. But um, I think if he was, uh, if he wasn't totally comfortable with with where things were going, and and saw saw that uh, Tari Appleby was behind him, and uh, was going to be pushing him for a role, and, and said like, hey, I, I, I'm not totally bought in. I I don't think Mike White would be like would be like, hey, let's uh, let you know, start begging him. I just don't see that happening. Yeah, I mean, like Scotty Lewis comes back first too, which I think is interesting. Like the the first domino to fall in all of this was Lewis, kind of almost immediately, really announcing his return, and I think that changed the makeup of what Florida was going to look like on the floor pretty significantly. And we talked about that on a podcast, Eric. And, and so I think, you know, there's definitely a little bit of the sense that I get is that both is that this is a decision that Andrew has made. Um, and, you know, whatever, whether that's Tyree Appleby related, whether that's, you know, I'm worried about what my pro prospects look like if my minutes decrease. But I don't think that this is a situation where Florida was like, hey, a guy that we've had start every game for two years leave the program yeah the, the other thing too that i would say is like if you're going to push a guy out 
Um, I, I here, here's my here be my advice to any uh, aspiring college coach. Let me, which uh, you know, what do I know? But hey, if you're gonna push someone out, don't do it at the end of May. Like if you're gonna push someone out, uh, maybe do it earlier in the off season when there's a lot more transfers available or a lot more recruits available. Like it's just like if he was pushed out, I don't see the end of May being when you do it. I, I, I don't know. Like. Uh, I guess, like, let's say that Trey Mann comes back. It's it obviously would suggest that uh, Nemhart's scholarship then goes to Colin Castleton, and that's you know everything's even. Um, but man, and I, I love Castleton. Don't get me wrong, but I, I just think if Florida was was really planning on pushing out Andrew Nemhart, you do it earlier. You have the versatility to uh, uh, to maybe go for uh, go for some other guys. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, that's all right. Um... Ryan Big, Brett Adams, both ask about recruiting. We talked about that. Uh, I'm not trying to say that your your questions aren't uh, <laughs> important. We just kind of already addressed it. Brett Brett did add, with no seniors, how many scholarships for next year's recruiting class should Mike White anticipate having? And uh, you know, I I still think the number is two to three. But again, with with the possibility of the transfer rules changing. I mean, who knows? Uh, it's really going to be a game changer. I love this question from Dominic Rivado, which is why I saved the best for last, I feel like. Um, but he asked, what is the biggest concern on next year's roster for both of you? Oh, that is a great question. Do you have, do you have an answer while I, while I ponder that? Or, or what are you thinking? <sighs> I... I'm torn because here's what I think happens with three-point shooting. I think Scotty's numbers aren't going to be as good, and I think Trey's are going to be better, and I think that offsets one another. Um, so my biggest concern is front court depth uh, and that, wow, Kerry Blackshear had these kind of defensive def- issues. We also kind of forget that he was – basically good for 15 and nine every night. And yeah, so, even with foul trouble. <laughs> even with foul trouble. And so we're asking Omar Payne and Jason Jatobo to come in and collectively replicate that production. And so I'm a little worried about that. And I, that's one of the reasons I think Osayo Sifo plays, even if it's like a Dante Bassett, injured Dante Bassett number of minutes, right? Like six to seven minutes a game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I have a little bit of front court concern. Um, and I also think that that impacts, you know, Kerry Blackshear's presence on the floor helped Keontae Johnson. So what happens with defenses keying on key to make a uh, Mark Wise type pun? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I told you I needed to think of an answer. And then as soon as you started talking, it came to me and then then you hit it. Uh, the fact yeah. of the matter was, hey, Florida was 61st in uh, in defensive efficiency in Ken Palm, I, I think, at the end of the season. Um, no, like, without exaggerating, like, I would say this is not an exaggeration. Florida needs to be 45 spots better, at least. Uh, and I say that because, you know, Florida, in the last couple of years, where you, you know, barely made it into the tournament with a top 20 defense uh, because their offense wasn't great. So right. I would say you look at what Florida wants to accomplish next year they for sure need to be in the 15-ish or better range in, in defense. And then, uh, and then how well they really do will be, um, will be dictated by their offense because we saw, um, you know, 
the last year in kind of past with under Kavarius Hayes um, in the Kavarius Hayes era, um, you know, they're, you know, in the, the 40 ish offensively and they're in the 15 ish defensively, and that'll get you in the NCAA tournament and, and be a decent team. Uh, and uh, so that's kind of what I think Florida kind of hinges on. They need to get back in that top 20 defensive range. And then if they're, Hey, if they're 40th in offense, then they are going to be like an eight or a nine seed. And if they get up to 25 again, ish, like they were this year, uh, then yeah, they're probably going to be like a, a, a five or a six seed and anything better than that. Then, Hey, then you're talking like, Hey, our second weekend team. But the, the fact of the matter is I just really think that this, this team needs to get like 40, 45 spots better in, in defense and in Ken Palm. And I look at, uh, you know, I look at Appleby who wasn't a great defender. Um, and, uh, I, I look at, uh, you look at in the front court, I think Omar Payne has a chance to be a really good defender. Jason Jatobo had moments of being a really good defender. He also had some moments of pretty poor defense, but hey, those guys were freshmen. But uh, yeah, if there was one concern it, it, to me, it's definitely the defense because yeah, if Florida if Florida is going to hover around the sixty mark again like this year, or even get even if they hover around the fortieth mark in Ken Palm's defensive efficiency rating, uh, they're probably not going to be a, a very good team, uh, truthfully. So that number has to get drastically better. And while I think that there's signs of why that would happen, just you know, getting Jeruji activated, bringing back returning guys, um, getting some athletes in their recruiting class. Uh, there are definitely signs of why it gets better, but uh, like you said earlier, Neil, you can't, uh, uh, you never know what's really going to happen until, until the game start and you can't just assume things go, go according to plan. Yeah. I, I think both our points are probably, you know, one a and one B because I, again, I mean, the last 20 minutes of the Kentucky game, really 19 minutes, you saw the impact of no carry Blackshear pretty quickly, right. Against a good team. Mm. Now, Granted, that was a team that was playing like a top five team, a team that might have made the Final Four. Um, but still, it, that's if the program standard is to play like to have a chance to beat top ten teams all the time, then you know what we found out last year on Senior Day was that with Kerry Blackshear out of the game, a twenty point lead against Kentucky was not safe because Jason Jatobo <laughs> and Omar Payne weren't ready for that moment. So, you know has to be better, has to be better. Uh, and, and so I think, and, and then, you know, to, to Eric's point, one way to make that better is, you know, you better play collectively better as a defensive group uh, where you can get stops when you get into scoring droughts. And that's why I thought it was fun to rewatch that 06 title game where Florida has this five and a half minute scoring drought and, mm-hmm. and uh, the lead stays exactly the same, right? <laughs> it's just like, all right, well, we're not going to score now. We'll just get a ton of stops. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's where you want to be. Um, but thanks everybody. These were great questions. 80 minute show <laughs> at the end of May, but uh, thank you for listening and we will be back. We're going to do the, the 07 championship game uh, coming up soon here. So um, thanks again and everybody be safe. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye.